Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly and you're joining us for our online service this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you've joined with us. We're into this series called Summer Hymns where we're working through some of the most famous hymns of the church. Well, one day a local pastor was trying to raise some money to put on a new roof on the church. And that's when he had a unique idea about how to raise that money. At the beginning of the service, he passed around the offering plate and had one instruction that the person who gave the most money that morning would get to pick three hymns of their choice. Now, as the offering plate was passed around, the pastor noticed that someone had put a $1,000 bill in the plate. Excited, the pastor held up the bill and, and to the congregation, and giving thanks, he asked who had been so generous. Well, everyone looked around, and that's when this quiet, elderly lady in the back kind of slipped up her hand the pastor asked her to come up front and so slowly she made her way up to the front and the pastor told her what a generous gift she'd given and as a thank you he said go ahead and pick out three hymns well the uh, the older lady's eyes brightened up and a smile came across her face and she looked out over the congregation and she pointed to the three most handsome men in the church and she said, I'll take him, him, and him. Well, we're into this series called Summer Hymns. It's a, a different hymn, which means we're well into the summer. In fact, we're officially in the winding down summer phase. In Summer Hymns, we've been looking at some of the traditional hymns that the church holds dear. Today, we're looking at the hymn, Standing on the Promises of God. Now, Standing on the Promises of God was written by, a name, uh, written by a man named Russell Kelso Carter. Carter was born in 1849 in Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland, and he lived a very full life. As a young man, he was an incredible athlete. In 1887, he would become an ordained minister in the Methodist faith. He'd also spend time as a professor of chemistry, natural science, engineering, and mathematics at the Pennsylvania Military Academy. He was a sheep rancher for a period of his life, also a publisher of textbooks, and was an assistant in compiling the Christian and Missionary Alliance hymnal. He would spend his latter years studying medicine and becoming a doctor. That's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, apparently... He didn't have any Netflix around during his life. Well, when you listen to Standing on the Promises of God, Carter's military background shines through in the rhythmic militant style of this song. The motivation behind the hymn was a health condition that Carter suffered. At the age of 30, Carter was diagnosed with a heart condition. Faced with his own mortality, Carter knelt down and he made a decision right there. Whether God chose to heal him or not, he was, not, he was going to spend his days standing on the promises of God. Well, as it would have it, God would heal him, and he would live another 49 years, although other health issues would follow leading up to his death. Carter's conclusion, though, was healing was God's choice to make, not his. This hymn was his personal testimony. Well, have you ever experienced... A situation where you and someone else experienced the same information or they had the same experience, but you came away seeing it completely different? I, I think we all have. Especially 
around us today, it seems a lot of people are looking at things from different perspectives and not seeing eye to eye. When I was younger, my dad, he loved to watch nature programs. He loved to watch these animal kingdom type programs and where they would highlight and follow around a particular animal of the animal kingdom. My dad could watch them for hours and hours. But imagine you're watching a program about lions. And for half an hour, you follow around these lions and what they do during their day. And you see how they interact with each other. And they show you the mother lion, lion and how she cares for her babies. And then it shows how she leaves the babies to go and hunt food for them. And then she comes across an antelope. And you watch this exciting pursuit as the mother is chasing the antelope and getting food for her babies. And she bears down on this antelope. And at the last second, the antelope makes a quick cut and is able to escape the lioness's grasp. As a viewer that's invested in, 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 in the lion's life, you were cheering the lion on in that moment. You realize that This is kind of a sad failure. How will those babies feed now? And you start to sympathize with the lion. But imagine you're watching an episode about an antelope. And as you watch the antelope go about her day and how she interacts with her young, and then suddenly she ventures out and and you see this lion lurking in the long grass. And your heart sinks as this antelope is now in extreme danger. And the lioness pursues the antelope. And the antelope at the last second makes a quick cut and evades the dangerous lion. And your heart cheers. It's this joyous moment. And it's the same scenario plays out in front of you. But depending on your perspective, depending on which side you were, you were invested in, this can be a moment of joy or a moment of sadness. It depends where you stand. See, it's interesting how two people can attend the same service and come away with two different conclusions. Because some of you will watch today and you'll think, ah, the service was all right. Message was a little bit long. Pastor Roy is a little long-winded today. I, I was starting to get hungry at the end. I, I like it when his messages are a little bit shorter. Another person can watch today and they, they can be fighting back tears. And they can be like, God is so good. I I could have watched for hours. Thank, thank God that, that, that the, of the message that was brought forth. Thank God that, that uh, there's, we have the ability to be able to watch and be able to take in God's word through the internet. God is so good. Same experience, two different people. But one tuned in today looking for God with a humble and expectant heart. The other came with with arms crossed, looking for something to nitpick at lunchtime. Maybe tuned out early. You see, it's all about perspective. We often, we come to church and we wait for God to move us. And when he moves us, maybe then, maybe then we close our eyes. Or maybe then we raise our hands in worship. or, Or we know if the right song is played, maybe if our emotions are stirred up, then maybe, maybe I'll, I will respond But I love how Psalm 65 starts. First line David writes is this. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. Praise awaits you. Like 
I'm not here with my arms crossed waiting for you to show up and then I'll praise you. I came today to praise you. My praise awaits you, God. I don't feel, need to feel goosebumps. I don't need to see if, if my emotions are stirred up. I don't need to hear the right song or hear the right words. You are God and I came here to praise you. My praise awaits you, not the other way around. So maybe today God isn't, isn't ready to change your situation. But maybe he'd rather change your perspective. Well, today I want to begin by looking at a passage from the Old Testament, and we're also going to look at one from the New Testament. I'm going to read both, and then we'll dive deeper into them. Isaiah 40 says this, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We're going to dive into that a little bit more in a a moment. But the other passage is a parable. It's It's a famous parable that Jesus tells in the New Testament. We know it as the parable of the prodigal son. Most of you know it, but it's basically the story of a man with two sons. And one day the younger son says to the dad, Dad, I don't want to wait till you die before I get my inheritance. I want my inheritance now. Of course, this breaks the father's heart, but he chooses to go ahead and give his son the inheritance. And so the, the younger son leaves and he goes off and he, he blows through the inheritance in no time, through, through lavish living and girls and partying. And so when it's all gone, he comes home and he decides he's going to sheepishly beg his father for a place in his, in his father's servant quarters. But when he gets home, he's surprised because his father's there, arms open wide, wide, and embraces him and celebrates his homecoming by throwing a party. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 15. It says, now the, it says that the older son, who was the rule follower, the one that never gave his father any grief, the one that never did anything to dishonor his father, the one that worked hard in the fields for his father, comes in from the fields at this point where the, the younger son has just arrived and there's, there's excitement going on, they're ready to start partying, and he's coming in off the fields and he hears the music pumping and he hears the laughing and he, and he knows there's energy going on. He finds out that his brother is back and there's a party starting and he's mad. He doesn't understand why his brother's behavior should be celebrated. And so he refuses to partake in this celebration. Luke chapter 15, the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering, squandering your money on prostitutes, that's right, that prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. 
We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. Now he is found. Today we're going to be looking at these passages and see how they're linked. Well, the first thing right off the bat is in both passages, the children in the story are claiming that the father is not doing something for them that they want him to do. In Isaiah, the Israelites have been captive to the Babylonians for a long time, and they've suffered because of some of their past sin, but now they've cried out to God, and they want to be free, and they want to return home, and yet they feel like God doesn't even care or hear them. But then in Isaiah, the writer says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by God? It's perspective. It doesn't change your current situation, but when you understand that God is not absent, that it's not about you, that God is working in the background and he's above all things, that there's a bigger play in the works. Verse 28, the writer says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Have you not known? Have you not heard? In Luke 15, the older brother is upset. He believes he's owed more than his younger, irresponsible brother. It's like, Dad, you won't even give me a young goat. You killed the fattened calf for him. I've done what I'm supposed to do, and you wouldn't even give me a young goat. Where's my goat, Dad? And so you sense a frustration towards the father in both passages. Here I am. I've done my time. I've done what I'm supposed to do, and yet you seem to not hear my request. Maybe you felt like that before. Maybe you feel like you feel like you've asked God for something and you got no response. You've cried out to God and you felt like, based on what you witnessed and based on your situation not changing, that, that God doesn't even hear you. And when you speak to other people of faith, they say you just need to wait. You should wait on the Lord, which is, which is good advice because God's timing is perfect. However, we mix this up a little bit. Because we see waiting as something that is very passive. Look again at Isaiah verse 31 to give you some insight into this. It says, but for those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is not passive language. They shall mount up. They shall run. They shall walk. If you're waiting on God, it means you're still moving with expectation that he's going to come through. Those that wait on the Lord shall mount up, shall run, shall walk. You see, sometimes what we call waiting, God calls procrastination. Let me say that again. Sometimes what we call waiting, God calls procrastination. We call it patience, but it's procrastination. I, I remember the night clearly that God changed my world and called me into ministry, called me to become a pastor. I didn't know what it was going to be at first. I had no idea what was next, no idea what would happen. I, don't, I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't have any of the details. I, I never heard of Petrolia, the first place that I, that I ministered. I never heard of Arthur, where I am right now. See, for those details, I would need to wait on the Lord. He held the details in his hand, but... I knew I need to start taking Bible college courses. I need to mount up. There's no sense in folding my arms and telling people, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm just waiting on the Lord. 
If he wants me to go into ministry, uh, I just believe that I'll just wait in the Lord and the, a Bible college recruitment officer will come knocking at my door and he'll have the application and a pen in his hand if, if God really wants me to do that. So you can spend your whole life waiting for God to give you something he's already laid the groundwork for. You can wait your whole life for something he's already done. They that wait upon the Lord don't lay around. They don't sit around blaming God. They that wait on the Lord take action in what they can, and they wait on God for the stuff that they don't know. You see, if you're a waiter in a restaurant, if you're going to stand against the wall until every time someone from the table puts their hands up and kind of waves you over, I can tell you right now you're not going to get much of a tip. A good waiter will be proactive in everything and do everything they can. Is there anything I can do for you? Anything that you need? Anything I can get for you? A better representation of this analogy is a waiter that, where they call waiters servers. That's sometimes what it's called. That's a better analogy for this. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do what I can. All the while waiting for clear direction. I'm going to come and I'm going to serve every way I serve this table. And then, and then when you got your order and you can give me more clear, clear definition of what you need, I'm here. This change in perspective changes how you see God. You see, in Luke 15, we see a father that embraces his son fully and celebrates his return. We see the other son standing on the edge with an attitude, refusing to go into the party. And he's mad that his father hasn't thrown him a party, hasn't even given him a goat. And he's waiting for his father to make it happen. And his father says to him, son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Everything I have is accessible to you. And your heavenly father would say to some of you, are you going to stand on the outside with your arms crossed waiting for me to give you something? Or is it possible I've already done what you have asked? You know where we keep the goats. Are you really waiting for something I told you you could take any time that you want? This ties into last week's message if you, t- if you tuned in for that. Because you pray for yourself, God, give me joy. God, I just want joy. God, I want my kids to be happy. And God says, if you're waiting for me to send you happiness, you're wasting your time. You're waiting on something I've already shown you. Jesus gave you the keys to a blessed and joyous life. Stop waiting for something I already gave you access to. You know where we keep the goats. Well, a number of years ago, I was, I was at our annual youth conference, Overflow, with our teens and after service the, the one night I went with a group of teens across the street from our hotel to grab some pizza well we didn't realize what was going on while we were grabbing pizza but across the road at our hotel in the parking lot a guy who was high on drugs got into a fight with his girlfriend in the back of a taxi cab the cab driver getting frustrated kicked them out of the car then he got out of the car to break up the fight and he left the car in drive well, the car continued to keep driving, crossed the street, heading right towards the pizza place where we were getting our pizza. And we didn't even know any of this was going on. We're just watching the pizza hub and waiting for our pizza to come out. We're oblivious to it all. But what we were fortunate to have is there was a pole in the parking lot that instead it was in line with where it was going. Instead of it going straight through the wind- window, it hit this pole and stopped dead right there. So we walk out, didn't know any of this happened, pizza in hand, and we see this car crashed into a pole and a bunch of arguing going on across the street. So we get all the kids into the hotel and a couple of the leaders try to help the situation, make sure that the, the girl's okay. Well, this guy who was high was not really in the state of mind to be reasoned with. And he started frantically yelling at 
each of us. Do you want to see me? This was his way of saying, you want to fight. Do you want to see me? Come get some. You want to see me? Come get some. Well, he was looking to fight anyone. Moments later, the cops arrived. He was arrested. His girlfriend was fine. The taxi driver, well, other than his car being all smashed up, was okay as well. But the catch line for our weekend in our youth group, and especially amongst our leaders, was, you want to see me? You want to see me? Come get some. We overused that line so much over that weekend. But I wonder if God might say, in a much more loving and less aggressive tone, you want to see me? You want to see me? Come get some. You're looking for God's wisdom? Some of you are looking for divine wisdom, but you, won't, you want it without opening your Bible. He's like, you know where we keep the goats. Come get some. It says, those that wait on the Lord, they shall mount up. They shall run. They shall walk. Open your Bible. Read. Be active. Then wait for God to show you in that Bible things in a new way. There's the wisdom that you need. You want to see me? Come get some. Well, maybe you're here today and you, you have your arms crossed. Maybe you're watching and you're just like, maybe you don't physically have your arms crossed, but you're, you're, you're guarding your heart and you're waiting and you're waiting for God to move. And you're thinking, I'd like to have a go. I'd like to have an opportunity. I'd like to see God. He said, you want to see me? Come get some. And some of you are thinking, Pastor Roy, is it, isn't it God that needs to come through? Like, it's not about me. You're right. It's not. And yes, nothing happens without God coming through. That's absolutely true. But too often, we wait for things that God has already done. We see this happening and playing out throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, we see the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Very famous story. They were slaves to Pharaoh, but God uses Moses to lead this entire nation out of Egypt and, and, they, and they, they take off. Well, Pharaoh has a change of heart and decides, I, I want my slave, slaves back. So he sends out his army to go get them, round them up, and bring them back. And in one of the most famous scenes in the Bible, the Israelites, they're running from the Egyptians, and they're pinned against the Red Sea. There's nowhere left to go. And the Israelites start complaining to Moses. And they're like, man, what have you done? We were better off as slaves than dead. Thanks a lot, Moses. And so Moses decides he's going to give them a pep talk. Exodus 14, 13, he says, But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. But you've heard messages about waiting on God using this passage. And you, you can look at that and say, see what it says, Pastor Ray? It, just says, uh, it says that I should just stand still. That, that, I, that, that God will fight for me. Well, it, it's, that's not wrong. Moses was right when he says these things. The Lord was about to rescue them that day. They would never see those Egyptians again. And the Lord will fight for you. Just be still. That seems like a good word, except look at the next verse. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Then verse 16 says, Pick up your staff, raise your hand over the sea, divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. 
And so God says, I'm going to use something to do. I'm going to use you to do something. Something you can't do on your own. Make no mistake about it. Yes, you need to wait on me to make the impossible happen. But I'm going to use something I already put in your hand. You want to see me? Come get some. You can't do this on your own. You can't accomplish nothing without me. And I don't need you to do what I'm doing. But I'm going to use you when you exercise a little bit of faith. Why are you crying out to me? And he would say the same thing in your situation. Why are you crying out to me? Why are you crying out to me when to fix the relationship with your child when you won't even pick up the phone to call them? I've already given you the tools to fix it inside of you. I put the Holy Spirit inside of you. Are you going to take the next step or are you just going to wait? Why are you crying out for a job when you haven't even put out a resume? Why are you crying out for revival in your town when you won't even extend an invitation to church to your neighbor? I've given you what you need, but you would rather wait. Here's another one. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Matthew 14, 15. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late, Jesus. Because he had crowds of people around and they're all getting hungry. Jesus said, and, and, they, and the disciples said, send the crowds away, Jesus, so that we can go to the villages and buy food for them, for, so they could go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Well, they're looking out over the crowd. There's like 15,000 people. And they're like, but, but, but. But we don't have enough. Jesus, we don't have enough. And Jesus said, what do you have? We've, we've just a little bit of bread and a few fish. He's like, use what I've given you. Then wait on the Lord to do the impossible. But walk in faith first. Don't just sit there. There's this story in Acts where Jesus leaves the disciples. And he ascends back to heaven. Right? He's, this is after he's, he's died. He's come back to life. He's amongst them. And then he ascends back to heaven. And a group of angels appears and says to them, Men of Galilee, why are you, here sta why are you standing here staring into heaven? To which they're like, Well, let's see. A dead man was just here, and then he just magically took off into the sky. That's not something that we see every day. But the angels say, Jesus has been taken up into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. And the angel's saying, he's coming back. But what did he tell you to do? Did he tell you to stand here and wait, looking into the heavens until God sends him back? I'm pretty sure what he said was, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Great Commission. That's what you were to do while you wait. It's active waiting. See, you can wait, or you can do what you know to do, and be actively waiting for God to show up in what you're doing. Now, if you're a parent listening today, this is about the time of the summer where, if you're a parent, you may have heard this phrase like a thousand times. And it drives you crazy. Mom, I'm bored. Dad, I'm bored. And if you're like me, when your kids would say that, Here's what I would think. This is not what I would say, but here's what I think. You have more entertainment choices than at any time in the history of the world. You have toys, you have, a, you have bikes, you have a trampoline, you have video games, you have DVD. Me and your mom have given you everything you need, you could ever ask for, and you have the nerve to come to me and say, I'm bored? 
If you're bored, that says nothing about my ability to provide for you. You've been given everything that you need to not be bored. And I wonder if at, at times does God feel like that when we come to him? And don't get me wrong, God wants you to come to him with what you feel. But if you've been coming to God over and over again, I'll use this analogy again. But if you've been crying out to God for, for those that don't know Jesus, but you can't remember the last time you invited someone to church. When the only friendships that you do have are with other Christians. When you spend more time criticizing those that don't believe like you because of their behavior, rather than, than, than showing the unconditional love and compassion that Jesus modeled himself, God has to feel like a parent whose kid comes to them in August and says, I'm bored. He must be like, I've given you everything you need. To change the thing that you say breaks your heart. I've given you the tools. I've shown you the way. Is, is, it, is it your job to change their heart? No. You'll need to wait on me for that. But I'm just asking you to use what I've given you. Maybe like, God, take this fear from me. God, give me peace. And he's like, I can do that. I have the power to do what you're asking. And sometimes I'm going to need to when you just don't have it in you. But I've also given you the Holy Spirit that lives in you. And whether it's joy or whether it's peace or whether it's whatever you need, I've given you what you need, the thing that you ask. So if you'll trust and you'll stop waiting for something I've already given you, you know where we keep the goats. You see, it's important. It's important that you stand on the promises of God. When Russell Carter wrote this hymn, he knew what it meant to actively wait on the Lord, to actively stand on the promises. You see, he could have decided at an early age when he was diagnosed with a heart condition, he could have just waved away a flag and said, I'm, uh, I'm useless. I'm just going to wait here until, until God comes along and, and changes my situation. When he had other heart issues, I could just sit here and I can wait. I need a touch from God. I can't do anything until then. Or, 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 or I could actively wait. Athlete, pastor, rancher, scientist, publisher, doctor. Maybe I do what God calls me to do. All the while standing on the promises of God. Actively standing. Actively waiting why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there's such a thing as waiting on you. Your timing is perfect. But when you want us to wait for you, you also want us to be actively doing what you've called us to do. So God, I pray that we would be a people that don't just make excuses. That don't just go to church and, and make excuses why you're not moving in our situation. We all know what we're supposed to be doing. We all know that we're supposed to be spreading the good news. That we're supposed to be sharing and unconditional love with others. And in the meantime, you're going to step into our situation. And do the impossible. So God, I pray that we would be a people. That would be challenged 
to use the time that we've been given to go after the things that you hold dear to your heart. That we wouldn't just sit around and wait. And that while we were doing that, we would cling to and stand on the promises of God.